0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Ruskey, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We are Minus Jorna Taylor. She is on a planned vacation with her family in Arizona. I'm sure it involves horses. We're very happy for Jorna. It's always good to take a break. Um, but as always, we have Robert Craig. He is not with us in the podcast studio uh, such that it is. He is in uh, on the East Coast. Robert, uh, thanks for joining us.
1: Happy to be there, and I'm out here. My uh, a longtime podcast listener, my aunt Eloise passed away over the weekend uh, when I was visiting, and i in charge of all her affairs. So she would have wanted me to like, go to do the podcast after her passing. So.
0: Glad to be on. Well, Robert, we appreciate you taking the time to to join us. Um, obviously, we've talked about Anne Eloise a number of times on the podcast. She is a uh, a great supporter of citizen action. We'll miss her, and it's uh, she's very fortunate to have someone like yourself who can who can do this. So, thanks for taking the time. Um, with that, we are going to jump right into our topics. Uh, obviously, uh, the big story this week was the amazing news uh, that broke regarding Rebecca Bradley and a number of articles that she wrote while a Marquette student. And so we have a special guest today, and that is Jenny Dye. Jenny Dye is from One Wisconsin Now Institute and was involved in this research. Jenny, thanks for joining us today to talk more about this topic.
2: Thanks so much for having me on.
0: So our listeners are certainly familiar with your organization. We've had, I I think you've been on once before. We've had Scott on. You guys do amazing work, and you've kind of outdone yourself on this one. Um, So our listeners are very familiar, I think, with the scope of a number of the content, right, that um, she really went after um, the LGBT community, calling them degenerates. A whole host of other things uh, have been released. Tell us a little bit about how you guys... Got, got, found this out
2: sure um, well I think the really unfortunate part is that we were tipped off to the fact that she had um, made these writings by someone who was aware of them at the time she wrote them and had been very hurt at that time by her words to the point that here we are um, in 2016 and they still remember the words that she said in 1992 Uh, tuned, and that those are still having an impact um, on people today. And so when we talk about does it matter, it it matters what somebody said um, when we see the level of hatred and the level of vitriol that was used um, in Rebecca Bradley's writings towards so many different groups of people.
0: And to be clear, Jenny, these were multiple writings, right? This wasn't just one article. These were a series of articles that you found
2: It was. Um, She was what was called a crossfire columnist for the Marquette Tribune, the student newspaper at Marquette University, and she also wrote some um, long-form letters to the editor prior to becoming a columnist.
0: And and so now she, of course, has come out said she's a very different person. She she said that these articles actually uh, forced her to self-reflect when she saw the pain they were causing people uh, from her conversations. Um tell, tell tell me more tell me more about your thoughts on, you know, obviously I'm sure you're not buying that. We're certainly not buying that. H- how do you believe all of this information will play out? Like what wh- and what do you think is sort of the most important and relevant thing that all of this information really reveals or helps the voter better understand?
2: Well, I think it certainly is a window into the worldview that Rebecca Bradley uh, shares with some people on the right wing, unfortunately, like we're seeing in the presidential primary with Donald Trump. Um, And additionally, it's a window into whether or not this is someone that we can trust to apply the law equally to everyone, um, which is really one of the bedrock principles uh, of our judicial system. And it I would say the answer to that is no. How could you ever, if you were a member of the LGBT community, walk into a courtroom and expect to be fairly judged by someone who had already judged you so harshly? How can you, if you're a victim of sexual assault, expect that she will be able to fairly judge your case when she had supported someone who said that women were partly to blame for their own date rapes? it really calls into question her uh, trustworthiness and whether or not she's fit to sit on the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, I've been kind of reflecting on this. And, and, and Jenny, uh, this occurred when? Was this in the 1980s or 90s?
2: It was in the early 90s when she was a student at Marquette University. Uh, but right. that wasn't the end of this sort of hateful rhetoric um, An extreme rhetoric that we saw from her in, in 2006, she wrote a column uh, for a Milwaukee magazine about contraception, where she compared contraception to murder um, and supported allowing pharmacists to refuse to fill women's birth control prescriptions. Um, so it's not an isolated incident where we're seeing her use really extreme right-wing talking points um, and talk hatefully about the people who choose things that she herself might not.
1: Yeah, what I've been thinking about is, and you're, you're absolutely right, Jay, to point out this pattern, and I, gotta, I didn't know, but, uh, recently, 2006, that's even more shocking, but I'm trying to imagine, I mean, you know, prejudice against people in the LGBT community was uh, the majority position in the 1990s, and it, it was wrong. It was literally a black mark on, on the history of the country. Uh, but a lot of people held it. So I'm kind of trying to think about: okay, if someone uh, grew up in Jim Crow and they had um and they had you know generally accepted that the general white consensus in the South at the time, how much would you blame them once you had the civil rights movement? But in this case, you're pointing out it's ongoing, but in addition, it's especially hateful. It's not just that she held prejudices and was passively involved. Uh, she actively was saying her- horrific things. And it's hard not for me to believe that she- her conversion here has to do with changing social mores and the-, the-, the advance of freedom. And there are other people, other freedoms that have not advanced yet that she would be equally judgmental about. And it shows what kind of person she is. And you're absolutely right. This is about application of the law, and in this case, she seems to be an, an ideologue who imposes her own ideas on the law, which is obviously happens far too often with uh, right-wing judges, but this would be, bit, even though they claim to be just interpreting the law, but in this case, this would be a very extreme case of that as far as uh, women getting a fair hearing, especially in terms of their, their, their uh, health care rights, and then, of course, the LGBTQ community. So this is extremely troubling, and I, I don't think, I mean, there's not much here, other than that she's changing, that she's making a political shift, not that uh, and, and if, that we still had the same society and the, and the same level of prejudice against the LGBT community. She'd probably still be saying it publicly, is my guess, just based on this, this history.
2: Yeah, I certainly agree with everything you've said. Uh, you know, even Governor Walker, who I don't agree with on much, um, he said earlier this week that her views were not in line with what he experienced from conservative activists at Marquette in the 90s. Um, So she was even more extreme than Governor Walker, who I think is pretty extreme on a lot of these issues. And I think the other thing when it comes to the court system is we're talking about applying the law equally to all people who come before the courts. And one of the court's really important roles is to act as a check and a balance on our other branches of government and to make sure that laws don't go too far, that we don't discriminate against uh, minority groups, Mm -hmm. against groups that the majority in America might feel um, differently about. Um, That has been a historic and very important role of our courts. And is she someone that we can trust to stand up uh, to laws that go too far and Again, the answer for me is no. Yeah,
1: and the remarks about AIDS being literally uh, proving that gay sex is deadly and it shouldn't be taken in it are just stunning, even in the early 1990s. I mean, I can remember that there was that there was really a transformation in the late 80s around that issue. So she was, uh, yeah. as you point out, Jenny, with your Walker example, she was out of step even for the time, and it really calls everything into question here. And since she's a politician, really, uh, how how can you believe any representation she'd make now other than to to think that it it has to do with with politics and not about any change in personal views?
2: Absolutely, especially because she wrote a column along with a few other attorneys uh, saying that she believed that Supreme Court candidates should be able to lie in their campaigns. So she's already told us she thinks that Supreme Court candidates uh, should be able to lie. She now is one. um, And how are we supposed to trust what she's saying now versus what she put um, ink to paper on in the 90s?
1: And if elected, she'll be joining a Judge Gableman who was convicted by the Judicial Commission of lying about his opponent, Lewis Butler, but got away with it because of the right of the deadlock on the state Supreme Court. So you have multiple judges literally believe lying is okay.
0: So this gets us to our—the last thing we want to get your thoughts on, Jenny, and this is a little bit away. This is a bit more horse race, right? And this is a huge election coming up, and— um, Robert, you just mentioned Gableman and, and the stakes are big. Um, it seems to, I think to most progressives, like this this is a slam dunk in terms of this kind of information being eye-opening, right? Even you mentioned Jenny Scott Walker um, takes a step back and you know critiques these comments how does this impact right i know chris chris rickard has a article out suggesting progressives and liberals ought to you know be careful right we got these trump voters coming out and they may not care about this or i think um is his name hand the cartoonist even had a joke that it appears almost half our state eats this up i'd like your thoughts on it seems to me this this is way beyond and and has to hurt her but um your thoughts uh this this uh, on the race and how this uh you think this will impact
2: well i think you're right these are not uh, what we sort of un- unfortunately see as run of the mill uh hate from the right um that has become all too prevalent over the course of the past few years this is extreme um and it's on issues that the country has really moved on um it's no longer acceptable to have that level of hatred and that level of vitriol towards members of the LGBT community. And so I think that does um, it hurt her in a way um, that, unfortunately, some of Trump's comments have not hurt him uh, with the Republican base. But I think the other thing is we're not talking about a Republican primary where the issues are, are, is somebody going to vote for Trump or are they going to vote for a different Republican who's running? We're talking about a nonpartisan judicial election where people are going to make a decision about who they think is best to sit on a judicial bench and judge other people. And so both the qualifications for this particular job versus being a legislator versus being uh, an executive And the fact that we're talking about Democrats, independents, everyone coming out to vote and making a choice between the rhetoric that we've seen from Rebecca Bradley and another option, I think is not as concerning to me as maybe Chris Rickard, um, as you mentioned, says that progressives better be careful. I also think progressives have to turn out um, because there's going to be a Republican presidential race on the ballot, and if uh, progressives want to go in a different direction, they're going to have to make sure that they turn out. Hopefully, um, we'll still have a contested election on the presidential race on the Democratic side to continue to talk about those important progressive issues that we all care about, too, um, to make sure that people are really paying attention to what's going on uh, at the national level and at our state level.
1: I, what Jenny said is spot on as far as a political analysis I would simply add that I think that these statements are so shocking that I think this may nationalize the race at some level that is to say that it would be a step backwards for the LGBT community nationally and the incredible progress it has made if in this day and age in 2016 a state Supreme Court justice be elected with this sort of history of bigotry and uh, an outright hatred and so, I think, to the extent it's nationalized, this may change the race and may increase the stakes of the race dramatically, and that could affect resources involved involved in the race too. I have no inside knowledge of that. This is just me speculating that a lot of people nationally will care about this race a lot more now because uh, literally it's, it's like uh, David Duke being on the state, on uh, running for Supreme Court or something like that, but the LGBT version of that. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out, but I think that might well be the case.
2: Well, I think you make a great point, Robert, about the resources in this race, and let's not make any mistake, there has been spending uh, by the Wisconsin Wisconsin Alliance for Reform uh, in support of Rebecca Bradley, and if people want the sorts of revelations that we've seen about Rebecca Bradley this week, To be widely known, we all have a responsibility to share that um, and to make sure that people know that she is unfit to be sitting on the Supreme Court and, you know, really should not be waiting until April. Um, She should be resigning now.
0: Well, Jenny, we want to thank you so much for not only for your organization getting this information out to the public, but taking the time to join us. You've been an excellent guest, one of the one of the better that we've had in a while, and uh, very, very thoughtful. We really appreciate your time today uh, joining us. Thank you.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: So, Robert, we we are going to transition, Jenny. Actually. Uh, brought up a great segue i want to get your thoughts uh, talking a little bit more about the race and in particular the nasty television ad that just started so you mentioned you think that this could bring resources in nationally excellent point well the resources were already in on the other side jenny referenced it um robert we've talked about this on the podcast before you have you've even joked that you can't wait to find out about uh Uh, joanne Kloppenberg's sexual predator problem while the news is out this week here's the ad
3: we've heard it before liberal judges letting criminals off on technicalities judges like joanne kloppenberg this man had a long criminal history including beating his wife in front of their two-year-old daughter then after pleading guilty to sexually assaulting a 15-year-old child he got 15 years Incredibly, he appealed, saying he didn't understand the charge. And Joanne Kloppenberg, she agreed to give him a new hearing. Tell Judge Kloppenberg courts should protect children, not criminals.
0: So, Robert, you predicted it. Uh, any any shockers in this ad other than how shockingly bad it is?
1: Look, I, I was joking. I think I've done it more than once on the podcast saying that they'll find some connection between Joanne and child molesting, not because there is any, but because it seems like all Supreme Court bases thats what they do with their money—and so you got a million dollars on this kind of message in a low-information race where people really have trouble figuring out what judges stand for and what their records are, etc. It's just absolutely deplorable. It also—it makes Joanne, what you can't see um, in terms of the uh, audio—look ridiculous as well. Uh, you know, it's that way. But here's the thing: this brings to light the fact that conservatives are about power. Period. They make all these protestations about they want the law interpreted, written, uh, etc. But what they're attacking uh, Judge Poppenberg for doing is simply following the law. And so, if they have any kind of advantage, they can make sure they get someone on the Supreme Court who will let uh, the WMC and polluters uh, do, and, and quite frankly, state government and attacking workers' rights do whatever it wants, whatever they want to do, without any any constitutional check. Uh, They'll do anything to win. And here we have it, a million dollars on a trumped-up child molester charge. It has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that legally uh, Judge Klassenberg had to rule a certain way based on the law, period.
0: Well, absolutely. We're going to continue, Robert. We'll continue to watch this race and talk more. We'll be lucky to have Jorna back next week. Um, This is clearly going to be hot all the way through. Um, Hopefully resources will come. In uh, in support of Joanne, uh, especially given what you mentioned. So we'll we'll continue to talk about it, um, Robert. We are going to change topics here and talk about the new uh, jobs numbers that came out this week. That found Wisconsin uh, 63rd in job creation. These are an this is a, a statistic that came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it's an annual number. So this is not a, a monthly number that sometimes can be uh, inaccurate. It's essentially um, a whole year from uh, September of, or October of 2014 through September of 2015. And the numbers are not good for Wisconsin, very modest, slow job uh, growth. And we continue to trail uh, most of the states in the Midwest. Only Iowa was worse than Wisconsin. And what's important to understand is that this has been a consistent problem since 2011 in this data where Wisconsin has been lagging. Um, And so this data comes out on the one year anniversary of Scott Walker passing right to work. And so, of course, Robert, uh, the Democrats uh, immediately got out and, uh, you know, uh, called for immediate action. Let's hear a little bit from their press conference.
2: STATE DEMOCRATS ARE CALLING ON REPUBLICANS TO TAKE IMMEDIATE ACTION TO STOP THE
3: JOB LOSSES IN WISCONSIN. TODAY THEY MET EXACTLY ONE YEAR AFTER GOVERNOR WALKER SIGNED RIGHT TO WORK LEGISLATION WHICH PROMISED A GROWING NUMBER OF COMPANIES WOULD COME TO WISCONSIN. DEMOCRATS ARE SAYING THE OPPOSITE IS TRUE AND THEY
2: MUST GO TO THE FLOOR NOW AND PASS JOB CREATING LEGISLATION.
1: IF YOU LOOK AT THE STATISTICS IT'S REALLY UNBELIEVABLE. JOB creation's lagging layoffs are up our middle class is disappearing incomes are stagnant or falling and poverty is increasing dramatically
2: we did
3: reach out to speaker robin voss for a comment from the republican side we have not yet heard back
2: from his office
0: so robert uh, obviously want to get your thoughts right you know it makes sense that the democrats would be out suggesting we need to get serious about job creation. Um, We, of course, have some thoughts here. We've been pushing. Uh, We think we need to stop supporting outsourcing and a number of other things uh, that ought to be done. But uh, I want to get your thoughts on these new numbers and and the Democrats' response.
1: And, of course, it's a little unfair to judge Democrats' response because your whole response doesn't get to the media filter necessarily. So I'm I'm responding from a distance to uh, what's on a media report. And I think uh, uh, Representative Barker did a very nice job there laying out how bad the numbers are. What I would add is, uh, first of all, that we need to talk about this, not just in terms of it being bad, but about how it discredits the conservative, whole conservative approach to the economy, which is if mass, massive tax cuts to business uh, and uh, really raise, raise costs, lower wages, do things to lower wages like attack unions, or like lower the, the tax credit, uh, cut education dramatically and other public services, et cetera which pull money out of workers' pockets and people's pockets and out of the economy. And here's the thing. The reason that the being a very business-friendly state, as WMC says it is, doesn't work is because businesses create jobs when they can make profit-creating jobs. And to have that, they have to have customers. And so they have to have customers with enough money in order to buy goods and services. And we're mostly consumer economy. And so this slowness is a direct, uh, quite uh, ramification of the bankrupt conservative trickle-down economic philosophy. So what that means, in turn, is no matter how many bills you have, what the bill needs to be about is raising people's wages and expanding the opportunity to everyone, because that's the only thing that can get the economy going, people having money to spend on the basics in their local communities. And so we need to talk about this in a more fundamental way, about how this how this performance discredits that Wisconsin is much worse than the rest of the country, it's the same national economy, it means that we're doing worse than Minnesota, right, right next door, it can't be Obama's fault, uh, that this discredits the conservative approach to the economy, and that it supports the progressive approach, and then, only then, do we jump to policy and all the things we can do. Now, furthermore, you mentioned outsourcing that, not only are we giving tax, tax to large corporations, we're giving money to corporations that aren't even trying to create jobs here, that are outsourcing more jobs overseas or out of state than here. And so it, it, it adds add insult to injury that you lower workers' wages and then you take their tax money and hand it to corporations that aren't even creating a net of jobs in this state. So if you want evidence, kind of the smoking gun of the economy being rigged against average people by business, by large business, by our own government, this is it. And the Walker administration is a poster child uh, for this whole bankrupt approach to the economy. So they're literally looting the state and sending and sending the jobs out of state and overseas. That's what's going on with the full support and blessing of the Walker administration, whose WeDEC officials have particularly said that outsourcing is a good thing because it keeps people, and okay, the companies competitive now we have terms like competitive that apparently don't mean anything for workers. So why should we care about how competitive these CEOs are and how big their stock options will be if it isn't benefiting average people?
0: So we think the Democrats need to keep talking about this, and, and as Robert just mentioned, talking about it in the way where we actually help people make sense of this. So we're going we're gonna to continue to encourage people to go to our petition. We have a petition uh, to end outsourcing. We're going to uh, make this campaign uh, go throughout this election year and carry on into the next few years and address this issue. Um, and we want you to be a part of it. So please go sign the petition. Not only is that helpful, but we will uh, give you options to get involved. And so please... Go do that. And we also want to encourage you, if you want to find out more about what we think you ought to be, we ought to be doing to expand economic opportunity, we'll have a link to our blog that talks about the things that we ought to be doing. If we were to have a special session like the Democrats are calling for, hell, Robert, we don't actually need a special session. They're still in session. They're just off campaigning right now. <laughs> as we know. Uh, and speaking of campaigning, it's a related economic topic. Uh, this week uh, we had a couple of both an in-state and a national story. One in-state is the recriminations around uh, the loss of the the Oscar Mayer factory continue this week. Um, we talked last week about the news that Weedek chose not to uh, even reach out to them. Well, this week, uh, Senator Fitzgerald uh, one-upped the finger-pointing game and actually suggested it was Paul Soglin's fault, Robert. Did you hear about that? I know you've been out east, but it's actually Paul Soglin's fault that uh, Kraft Heinz is leaving.
1: What did Paul do to drive them off? Matt? I don't know. He, me.
0: he, he met with them and got information, and because he met with them, it's his fault. Oh, and he's mayor of Madison. It happened on his watch. That was, I believe, what ah. Fitzgerald... It's, uh, it happened on his watch.
1: So why doesn't he get all the economic development money instead of we back? Oh, well, I guess... Oh,
0: oh hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to go there, Robert. We're just, it's, it, it happened on his watch. That's all you need to know. No, look, there's Robert. There's very little um, good analysis going here. As we record Thursday morning, uh, Paul Soglin's apparently having a press conference to rebut. Uh, this is it's it's a little ridiculous. It gets back to what we talked about before. There really is no strategy here, and the one that does exist is just rigging the system uh, uh, for for CEOs. Help our business grow. Exactly. So so the other topic, Robert, I want to get your comments on, and I think this is actually.
1: Not small businesses. Let me be clear. I'm that's not being any business. Businesses that are well connected with make campaign contributions.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so one other big uh economic related news this week is Hillary Clinton came out with an ad, really blasting Johnson Controls around its corporate inversions, which we talked about, Um, and she actually recorded it in front of Johnson Controls and uh, released this ad as an effort to sort of blunt the onslaught that she is receiving around outsourcing, trade, uh, in the in the whole issue of of uh, jobs essentially leaving our country as, we, as, as they headed into the Michigan uh, primary, which she then got thumped in. Um, this is big, right? Hillary uh, has been rightly, I think, critiqued in, uh, on this area, uh, but her position that she would claw back money uh, for people who outsource jobs is an actual very clear position and a significant change for her, Robert.
1: No, I mean the Democratic debate nationally in some ways more than in Wisconsin has become very very progressive and populist economic issues and so you literally have not just Bernie Sanders but Hillary Clinton talking about falling back so going backwards, not just forward on outsourcing and saying we're going to take the money back if you then turned around and outsource jobs and Johnson control, as our listeners know, uh, Benefits of the auto bailout, which uh, which uh, obviously Hillary supported in the Senate, and then they turn around with a corporate inversion, right? In order to in order to shield money, but so we really need to go after the whole practice of this. And in fact, part of what's going on here is um, literally you need to you need to make this something that is that is it, seen culturally as an as a sleazy and an inappropriate activity. A lot of what happened not happening, say, with uh, with corporate practice, it's not just about what law you can enforce, it's about kind of what the cultural norms and standards are. And We live at a time now where it's considered okay to do anything for a profit, and it's okay to have any loyalty to a state, a community, to workers whatsoever, as long as that pads your bottom line in the short term. And so Hillary going after it um, is important on a cultural level and sort of a, a norms level, uh, in addition to being at a policy level, but as, as far as policy, the closest thing we've had in this state is the actual legislation by Senator Dave Hansen, who's up for re election in Green Bay, and Representatives Andy Jorgensen and, and Deb Colsey, uh, which would take, which would literally outlaw a company getting any economic development or or, or tax breaks for five years of outsourced. And so, really, they, they were ahead of Hillary on this, and that they introduced that legislation last year. But now we have a presidential primary where both candidates are adamant that we should no longer be supporting companies that outsource. But here in Wisconsin, of course, in Walkers, Wisconsin, we're still doing it.
0: Aha, Robert. So maybe that could be something we could be talking about in the weeks going ahead. The Democrats ought to... Uh, provide some solutions at something and hillary's on top of it and of course it's worth pointing out right um, she was moved there by uh, bernie uh, of course really putting pressure on this issue and and look as we've talked about the people were already there Um, so uh, we'll continue to to talk about this and again go sign our outsourcing petition Um, with that we need to uh, welcome a second guest and that is our organizing director here at Citizen Action, Kevin Kane. We have talked a bit before on this podcast about the organizing cooperative that we already have up and running here in Milwaukee and Waukesha, southeastern Wisconsin area, uh, doing amazing work, um, including the radioactive campaign, which we've talked about on the podcast. We mentioned uh, last week we had Jeff Smith on, and Jeff Smith is a former state representative. Uh, from the uh, um, eau claire area and jeff has uh, been leading an effort to expand the cooperative and start a second cooperative up in the eau claire area and so we talked with him more about that kevin is here for an update because it is getting close to uh, the end of that campaign and there's a lot of good news kevin give us an update how's it going is it gonna work and what should people do no kevin tell us more
3: Great. Well, thanks uh, for having me on, and I'm I'm very excited for the chance to uh, give people the update of what's been going on in Western Wisconsin. Uh, We're very excited because this is this is a very very big deal. Uh, Last year, it's not even been a year, frankly, when we launched the the Greater Milwaukee Organizing Cooperative. We started on this a completely untested, untried concept of we would like to give our members the chance to decide what they would like to see and create an organization that's owned by them, Uh, and we were very very excited when it did in fact succeed and so in some cases uh this, the second example is even more important than the first uh, as the joke goes you know this this the first Person to follow the example of someone else makes a lone nut into a leader. A blind squirrel finds. Yes. Nut, yeah, 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 sure.
0: Well, we've often accused Kevin of being a little blind,
3: but well, yeah. Keep going, that's, Kevin. That's not unfair. Um, but we're very excited because uh, in in western Wisconsin, and it's it's centered mostly around the Eau Claire region, but it's even beyond that. It's it's throughout western Wisconsin. We have been trying to figure out how to create the the second uh, Wisconsin. Uh, organizing cooperative, and we are very excited because with about 11 days left by the time listeners are hearing this podcast, uh, toward the the later end of of March, uh, we will have over 200 uh, dues-paying member owners of the number to the second uh, uh, organizing cooperative. And what's really important about this is not just that we've proven that something that started in Milwaukee can take place uh, in places across the state, it's not just a Milwaukee thing, um, is that we're able to show that it's not just cities. Small towns, rural areas, suburban areas are really jumping on and gravitating toward this idea of uh, organizations that we control, that we own, that work for what we want, and not what those uh, large donors and out-of-state foundations and the rest can put their money toward. And so people are very excited about the same things that you and I care about. Environment, education, voting, healthcare, jobs. And that's what we're learning out of this thing. And so we're very excited because the second drive ever – Uh, done anywhere in the country, um, on the more or less opposite side of the state from Milwaukee, uh, is going to be a success. We are at 90%, over 90% of our goal right now. And uh, in in about a week and a half, uh, we will be well beyond that. Uh, So congratulations to Jeff and everybody who has worked to make this a huge accomplishment in western Wisconsin. Uh, So this is a real shout out to you.
1: We call the uh, the cooperative members in Milwaukee member owners. It's a higher level of membership. that are actually involved in governance and choosing their own campaigns in conversation with us about strategy and what makes sense and what kind of support we can provide. And so what we're really trying to do is marry kind of the activism, the dynamism, of all volunteer activist activities, and there are great networks of activists across the state that aren't organizations, they're all volunteer, and the institutional capacity of an organization like, like ours to run long-term campaigns, to do messaging and strategy, et cetera, and try to create, try to find that sweet spot between the two. And so, so far, it's been a great success, and kudos to Jeff, and kudos to Kevin, who came up with this whole concept and has been the driving force behind it, and this has to do with years of thinking Kevin's been doing as, as he's been developing as an organizer and moving up uh, from a healthcare organizer up to an organizing director. And so, this is extremely exciting, oh, quite frankly, to the future of progressive politics in Wisconsin.
0: So Kevin, if someone's listening and they want to join either cooperative effort, uh how do they get in
3: touch with you? So the very best thing you can do is go to Citizen Actions website, citizenactionwi.org, and you can learn a lot more about uh where the the cooperative uh Boundaries currently are for both organizations: the Greater Milwaukee Organizing Cooperative and the Western Wisconsin Organizing Cooperative. And you can join right now on our website, or you can even just pledge to say that you would be interested in hearing more. And one of one of us will give you a call, chat it over, and try to work with you as to what we should be focusing on. What issues do you care about, and and how do we create something that is truly local and owned by yourself and your friends and your and your neighbors? Uh, and so, if you are in the Western Wisconsin area, uh, from hudson to uh spooner to buffalo city chippewa falls menominee eau claire area uh i welcome you to check out the western wisconsin organizing cooperative if you're listening to this and you're still if you're not a member in the greater milwaukee area uh feel i would definitely recommend that you get a chance to, to learn all the amazing things that we're already doing but if you're not in any of these places here's what i would recommend to you we truly see a vision where we'll have local member-owned organizations in counties and cities across the state over time. And what we learned moving forward uh, with the very first uh, Milwaukee one is that this vision kind of electrified people across the state. We had individuals who joined and supported our effort in Milwaukee, even though they had not been to Milwaukee in years, would never come to a uh, Milwaukee event, but supported it because they knew that one day we would come to them. And I'm, uh, I know Sue Hansen in uh, Washburn County often listens to this, so this is a shout-out to her specifically, but it's not just her. We've had people in other areas of the state do too. So if you want to see this idea grow in your area of the state and you want to support our vision, the best thing you can do right now is, is help us by joining uh, the Western Wisconsin Co-op, help it get off the ground, and so then we can even... Qu- more rapidly start deciding, where do we go next? And we go where the members want us to go. And if you are a member, we will say, let's look at Wausau, let's look at Rhinelander, Oshkosh, Janesville, uh, wherever you live. So uh, join now, uh, or let us know if you're interested in, in as we grow this organization forward.
0: Well, Kevin, thanks a lot for uh, joining us, giving us more information. And if you would like to see a lot more of Kevin, you contact him, and he'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> So Kevin, uh, congratulations uh, to you and Jeff uh, for uh, this Wausau. It looks like it's uh, Wausau, excuse me, Western Wisconsin. It looks like it's going to be a success. So we will uh, talk more, and we look forward to talking with Jeff more. Oh, Kevin's got uh, one more thing.
3: So Kevin. I, you know, I appreciate all the, the the love that you and and the rest of them are, are giving. But this is not me. This is not oh, even us. This on. is oh. this is the the twenty to thirty, yeah. and frankly, the hundred and. 90 uh, people who have already joined the organization and made it something specific and i gotta tell you it was really heartwarming to me when i went to a house party in eau claire recently who were talking about this and people were talking about the whole growing this co-op and creating something that is theirs and you know they had never heard of me and i'm okay with that like it's about what they're creating it's about something that is local owned by them and fights for them so you know don't give a shout out to me they never heard of you give come on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who is this person? Give a Let's shout. Track them down.
0: Jordan I want to give a shout out to the them. 200
3: people who are uh, creating something yeah. local in theirs. No,
0: absolutely. Uh, uh, shout out to everyone who's been involved in the cooperative. Amazing stuff is being done here in Milwaukee, uh, including uh, a huge effort to help elect Chris Larson, which. If you can come Saturday, meet us at nine a.m. or any uh, morning at the Peace Action Center, uh, one thousand one Burleigh. Uh, join other cooperative and citizen action members helping get out the vote for Chris Larson this weekend. Kevin, thanks a lot. We look forward to hearing more uh, from the podcast or uh, on the podcast about the cooperative. So, with that, Robert, we got to move to our furloughs. Hey, Kevin, what are you doing this weekend? Before you go, what do you, uh, before you slink out of here? When you're not creating cooperatives in Minnetonka, uh, Minnesota, what are you doing this weekend?
3: I got sorry. this is always a part of the podcast that like terrifies the heck out of me because <laughs> I know that he's gonna get me. Yeah, and, uh, what so are you I want to make sure that, unlike previous times in the podcast, you're I ready. actually got something to you do. do. Okay, I will be in the exact same place that you were talking about, the Peace Action Center, to help make sure that uh, voters and and you know supporters are helping make sure Chris Larson gets elected to county executive this Saturday morning. So if you're excited, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to. Seeing seeing you okay nice try that's good (laughs) that's good but part of this is to get to know you
0: better and i actually know something that you're really doing this weekend that our listeners should know about you you're pursuing higher education you actually have a lot of studying i think you're going to be doing yeah this weekend let people know you're 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 pursuing an economist degree or you're a
3: higher education what's Let let them know. Some of the listeners, but I'm sure most won't know, that when I'm not uh, helping to do organizing and help draw or get a chance to build things that that people get a chance to own, um, I pursue my my degree in applied economics at Marquette, so I'm I'm taking night classes. Uh, I expect to be done in, in... well, it seems like a really far away time at this point. But whenever I'm not here, I'm, I'm hitting the books at the library. So uh, that's part of the other reason I uh, didn't want to share the furlough necessarily, because it's not nearly as interesting. I'll be in the library. Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. That's extremely interesting. <laughs> it's good to know. I mean, higher education is absolutely critical. And uh, having an applied economist in the progressive movement is is incredibly needed. So uh, kudos to that work, Kevin. We really appreciate you joining us. Robert. What are you doing this weekend? We, I think we already uh, have a good sense you are heavily involved in uh, helping uh, take care of business there for your Aunt Eloise.
1: Right, so this also violates that fellow oh, rule. Oh, not
0: at all, not at all. It's not work-related. This is So anyways, Robert, you mentioned earlier Aunt Eloise was an amazing supporter of Citizen Action and, and listener to this podcast, and she actually deserves uh, uh, 30 seconds to a minute. So why don't you tell us a little more?
1: Well, she was a government employee in the National Institute for Health for over 40 years, working with states on their drug abuse programs um, and on data collection from all the states and she was incredibly true troublem- progressive she was a member of everything uh, there's stickers all over the place her door is full of progressive stickers including her front door including stanwood wisconsin sticker in there uh, and no fracking of course and uh... she uh, in her retirement uh, spent most of her time uh, a lot of her time watching c-fan and uh... yelling at the television and was a very strong bernie supporter and uh... You know, her, her, her caregiver, she had a tremendous, she had a lot of home care workers to keep her independent. And, you know, Matt, as you know, you and I both worked on developing a home care workers union in Wisconsin. Uh, the home care worker that was on duty Sunday when we found her unconscious was absolutely tremendous. And uh, she, the home care worker said that it, it was too bad that Ann would not live to see Bernie Sanders inaugurated as president. So she convinced us, uh, the home care worker, that Bernie was going to win. Just so you know,
0: that's excellent. uh,
1: And I will say about home care workers that that's just a perfect example of uh, the kind of job that's incredibly important that that requires a special person. And the fact that in our society we pay it so little really is a a, a horrendous uh, mark on the morality of our culture that we think we should pay you know various people at the upper level of corporations outrageous ransoms but you should pay you know, minimum wage or just above minimum wage to someone who is as important as a home care worker. So that reinforced it to me to see the relationship that Eloise had with both the home care worker that was working on that day and another long-term worker has come over and visited with me and talked about how much she's going to miss Eloise and how, how important she was. So um, on the other side, she lived, mass in the same apartment building since 1948 when it was wow. built. And so it is stunning how much one woman can stow away in one apartment in that amount of time.
0: <laughs> yes, no, uh, I think we've seen shows about that. So, look, Aunt, it's a, that was uh, very touching, and uh, it was uh, great to hear um, that story. And we'll, we'll have to see. We'll we'll have to we'll stay on Aunt Eloise's watch as we track uh, continue to track the Democratic primary. Who knows? She may be right. Your point about home care workers is excellent, Robert, because right we talk a lot about economic freedom right and and, and a lot of those home care workers uh, could use some economic uh, uh, assistance, but they provide real physical freedom, right the ability to stay in your home and live the kind of life that uh, does lead a full life and uh, she was definitely that that she was able to spend her entire life in that home and so uh, uh, two important freedoms coming together in that uh, pursuit there for home care workers. So, Robert, thanks a lot for uh, joining us this week uh, in spite of um, your personal situation. We really appreciate it.
1: Uh, thank you, and thanks to everyone who has sent kind remarks because I have an automated message on my email and things like that. And I should just say that and Ellen didn't have children herself, never married, uh, but was incredibly important in the lives of all of her. Uh, both of her sisters and her her six nephews, and including myself and her niece, and so it was just sort of a was sort of the anchor of the whole family, even though she didn't uh, have children herself. Which is important for us to understand. We need we're, we're, we're developing in our society a much broader and healthier view of what family is, and I just want to uh, shout out that way for her as well.
0: That's excellent. Um, uh, actually, for my furlough. I also want to uh, recognize a former Citizen Action employee, Juan Carlos Ruiz, who passed away very way too early. He was 53 years old. Passed away uh, last week. Um, he did work here at Citizen Action. He worked at a number of places throughout this community. He was also a volunteer. Um, Juan Carlos was um, very well known in the Latino community, uh, an ing- immigrants' rights organizer. Uh, work- he was originally from Peru, um, but has been instrumental in sort of working on immigration reform and also uh, making sure that we have fair redistricting. Juan Carlos was heavily involved in making sure. Latinos were fairly represented, and um, is the founder of a, uh, what is a, now a very successful Latino carnival parade uh, in on Milwaukee South Side. He will be very much missed uh, by a number of people in this community. Uh, it's um, it's been touching to see just how far his uh, imprint uh, was this week, uh, as people uh, did a lot of touching things uh, talking about him. Also, want to let people know if they want to help the family pay for his funeral, that we do have a link on our website where you can go and make that donation. So, with that, yes, Robert. About Juan Carlos, that uh, for those of
1: you not in the Milwaukee area who might not have met him, he was one of those people that was very high energy. He was everywhere, and it seemed like any major event you went to, he was there. He was dedicated. He was thoughtful, smart guy. And so he was really a fixture in uh, the progressive movement in Milwaukee ever since I moved to Milwaukee in uh, 1999. He uh, did, did play a prominent role in Citizen Action in the early aughts um, when Larry Marks and Bob Hudak were executive directors. He was uh, already moved on by the time that Matt and I came to Citizen Action, but is certainly part of, part of our history and uh, was just, uh, it, it's going to be... You know, it's going to be surprising to go to events moving forward and not see him because it was uh, because
0: he was he was so present. Absolutely, I probably had coffee with him at least four or five times uh, for over an hour chatting at Collectivo and Fuel Cafe and a number of other River West uh, places that I used to always see Juan Carlos. So Juan, we will miss you, uh, but your mark certainly uh, is felt and will not be. Uh, uh, We'll, we'll never go away. So thank you. And with that, we want to thank Brian Woolwich, who makes the podcast happen every week. And, of course, thank Jenny Dye for joining us earlier and Kevin Kane for joining us. We will see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.